0: You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Judges chapter number two and verse number
1: seven. Judges two and verse number seven. The Bible says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Verse number 8, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance, in timnath and in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers." And there arose a generation, another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And verse 13, And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth.
0: Would you please remain standing and would you look with me at verse number 10. I'd like for us to read verse number 10 together. And uh, this will be our text verse. And I want you to see it. Would you read with me Judges 2 and verse number 10. Ready, begin. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. And let's pray. Our Father, I pray that You'd speak to our hearts. And I pray You'd give us what we need today. I pray that as Your messenger and as your servant, I pray that I would say exactly what you want said. I pray that I would say it how you want it said. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would take my words and take this message. And I pray that you would personally uh, and powerfully deliver it to each and every heart and each and every person that is here. I thank you for those who are listening by way of the radio. I thank you for those who are watching this service online. Lord, I pray that the word of God would be spoken with power. And with authority, and I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would move and work in our midst today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We see in this passage, we see a very sad commentary. That it came to a point in Judges 2 and verse 10, that there arose a generation. There arose a group of people, and these were not some some wicked, heathen, godless people that didn't know God. These were people who their their relatives had come out of Egypt. Their relatives had seen uh, the the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen the miracles. They had seen uh, God in the wilderness provide manna every single day and, and water every single day. The Bible tells us about the children of Israel in the wilderness, that uh, their clothes and their shoes, they, they just never wore out. They never got old. If you're here today and you have children, you know that's a miracle right there, you know. and But yet they saw the miracles. They had come to the banks of the Jordan River and they saw the, the waters of the Jordan part. These people, their, their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, they had seen the walls of Jericho come down and they had seen the mighty working of God and yet the Bible says that the people during Joshua's day, they served God. And the elders, the the elder generation that outlived Joshua, they lived for God and they served God. But then the Bible says there came up another generation and the Bible says there was something different about this generation. This was a generation of people that came up and they did not know God. Now I think they knew about God. I think they'd heard some things about God. I think that they had read some things about God. I think they had heard some stories about the miracles and I think they'd heard some stories about the great things. But somehow there was a transfer that was missing They did not know God for themselves. I'd like to preach to you this morning on the importance of knowing God. I'm talking about for the next generation, but I'm talking about this generation. I'm talking about for us. We have no hope in passing down something to the next generation that we ourselves do not have. I can't teach my girls. I can't talk to Lacey and Savannah and say, Lacey and Savannah, you need to know God. If I don't know him, how can I give them something that I don't even have? It'd be like if you came up to me after the service and you said, Pastor, I need a hundred dollars. And I said, well, I don't have it. And you said, no, seriously, give me a hundred dollars. I say, I don't have it. I can't give you something that I don't have. Now, if you talk to my wife, maybe you could find it there, but I don't have it. But can I tell you this? We have a responsibility to pass something down to the next generation. But before we can pass it down, we've got to make sure we do inventory and make sure that we have it. Would you notice quickly in these verses, Judges 2, verse number one, it says, the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you go up out of Egypt and I brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Praise God for that. Praise God for a God who says, I will make you a promise and I'll keep it every time. I'm glad that's the kind of God we serve. I'm glad that we've got a God who always keeps his promises. We've got a God who never fails. We've got a God who has the quartet sang about. He is faithful and he is true over and over and over again. We've seen God be faithful. He said, I'll never break my covenant with you. Verse two, and ye shall make no league. Or no treaty with the inhabitants of this land, ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Boy, that's a convicting question. God asks his people, he says, Hey, why have you made a deal with the world? Why have you made a deal with the devil? Why have you compromised? Why have you taken what was holy and what was set apart and sacred and you have compromised it, you have watered it down and you have followed the gods of the heathen. You haven't thrown down their altars. You've started worshiping their gods. And God asked this question, he says, why? Why have you done this? Can I tell you something? Maybe we need to examine our own hearts and say, why have we done that? Why have we taken the things of the world, the things of, of wickedness and the things that are ungodly and the things that are unholy? And why have we, we implemented those things in our lives? I want to tell you what happens. Verse number three. Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides. And their gods shall be a snare unto you. Can I tell you, that's what always happens with sin. Sin always becomes a thorn in your side. It will irritate. It will bother you, it will mess with you, it will frustrate you, you will never be happy and I will never be happy as a Christian living a life of sin. Can I tell you, there will always be the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you and saying that's not the way a Christian ought to live and that sin will be a thorn in your side and it's, it will be a snare, it'll be a trap. That's the way sin works. Sin looks so good. Just like an animal uh, we'll take, for instance, in my, in my vast hunting experience, in my vast experience with animals and creatures, which is, let me tell you, I've even watched a couple of episodes of Wild Kratts, so I am very, very knowledgeable uh, when it comes to animals. I'm really not. But when we were in California, my wife and I, we had a place, uh, we lived in, and there was a place where we had, we had a, a little critter that decided to get in called a mouse. And can I tell you, when it comes to mice, I don't like mice. My wife does not like mice. There's no room in our house for mice. Is there anyone else that can agree with that, okay? Uh, they're very small, but still, there's no room for mice in the house. And so we went to the store and we got some, some devices whereby we could um, capture those mice and, um, and dispose of those mice properly. But can I tell you, you can set up whatever you want, but what really is effective in my experience, and again, I'm not saying I'm the expert, but I mean, I have done this a few times in my life. And uh, you know I even I read a blog about it once, so I'm an expert and I uh, watched a YouTube tutorial, so I mean, therefore, I mean, you know, just call me if you have any questions. But I'll tell you what worked for us. It didn't matter how good the device was, didn't matter how much uh, it cost, didn't matter how fancy it was, what really mattered was the application of the peanut butter. When you get that peanut butter in there, all of a sudden, that thing looks really good. And you know, for those, for those mice, I'm sure those mice thought, these are such kind, caring, loving creatures. They are providing food for us. They must want us to come into their home. They've got, they've got a meal and it's all prepared and it's on a special platter. Wow, isn't this fancy? And I'm sure for those mice, I'm sure that looked good. And boy, it smelled good. It tasted good for those mice. But you know what that peanut butter was? It was a trap. It was a snare. It was bait. And can I tell you, that's exactly the way Satan is with you and me. He's putting the peanut butter out there. He's putting the bait out there. He set the trap out there. You can't see the danger, but that's why you have a Bible. And that's why you have a God in heaven that loves you and says, stay away from the sin because the sin will destroy you every single time. And as if you don't believe it and I don't believe it, God gave us a Bible that records time after time after time where people thought they could get away with sin, but they found out that sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. They found out there is pleasure in sin sin for a season, but the end of that season always brings judgment. And God said that sin will be a snare. It'll be a thorn for you. Verse number four, it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. The Bible says, and they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Can I tell you, this is one ingredient, this is one thing that we are missing in our churches, this is one thing that we're missing in Christians in the United States of America, Is we do not weep anymore over our sin. We only weep when we get caught, we only weep when we get in trouble. We only weep when it is revealed or when it is exposed. But can I tell you, we need some old fashioned, old time Christians that once again will fall on their face before God and weep and say, God, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. God, I'm sorry that I've taken your name in vain. God, I'm sorry that I've been talking dirty. God, I'm sorry that I've been treating people wrong. God, I'm sorry for the way I've been acting because my sin breaks your heart. And can I tell you, we need some people that will weep over sin. We don't weep over sin anymore. We get hardened. We excuse it. We justify it. We say, well, if they weren't this or if they weren't that or if my parents didn't do this or my church hadn't done this. Hey, friend, it's not anybody else's fault but mine when I sin. It's not anybody else's fault but yours when you sin. Boy, we get so hard. We justify it. We make excuses for our sin. We try to give all the reasons why it's not as bad as somebody else's sin. We compare our sin. and Then I'll tell you what people do in 2021. They flaunt it. People are so brazen and people are so proud and so arrogant that they want to brag about their sin and they want to show the whole world, they'll put it on a social media account or they'll go around the workplace or they'll go around the schoolyard and they'll brag about something that is forbidden by a holy God. I got news for you, friend. It's time that we weep over sin. It's time that we become broken over sin. It's time that we confess it and forsake it and get it right because that's sin is the very thing that will be a thorn in our side and a snare to our soul. We see that these people, because of their sin, they wept. I'm glad they did. I'm thankful they did. I want us to have a church where we weep over sin and where we're broken over our sin and where we call out to God and we beg for God to forgive us and to heal us and to restore us. You see in verse number 7, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and I thank the Lord for some Joshua's that I've had in my life. I'm thankful for some men and some women that I've seen and that I've been under that have said, I'm going to serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm thankful. I hope you'll decide today I'm going to be a Joshua. I'm just going to serve God. I'm just going to live for God. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care what everybody else is saying. I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. But then it says in verse 10, it says that there arose another generation that knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done. Verses 11 through 13, the Bible tells us that when they forsook the Lord, they began to worship idols. And I want to tell you, whenever you forsake the Lord, you never stay neutral. You say, well, I'm just not going to do that whole Christian thing, and I'm just not going to do that whole religious thing. I'm just not going to do anything. No, you are going to do something. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something. And if you're going to serve somebody, you might as well serve the Lord. You might as well live for and serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you might as well make your life worth something of value and something that lasts. I want to talk to you about the importance of knowing God. When I was an assistant pastor right out of college, I, worked, I had the privilege to work for my dad. And we were talking, I was talking recently with somebody and I I was laughing. I said, you know, when I worked for my dad as an assistant pastor, we really didn't have staff meetings. And there's a couple of reasons for that. But one reason was, if I ever got in trouble, if I ever did something that I wasn't supposed to do, and my dad, you know, he's the pastor and I'm the assistant pastor and I'm 22 years old. Actually, I was an assistant pastor in the summers, even while I was in college, so even younger. But if I dropped the ball, my dad did not even have to say anything. I knew it. I could see it on his face. And it wasn't that he was all you know, fuming or whatever. I could see the look on his face. Sometimes it was a look like, Jeremy, what were you thinking? That was not very smart. You know, sometimes that was the look. He didn't say it. That was just the look. Sometimes I could see a look where he would cringe like, That wasn't a good thing to do or say. And sometimes I'd see a look of maybe a, a disappointment, like, oh, oh, I taught you better than that, you know? And so we didn't have to have long meetings. We didn't have to have drawn out sessions of, here's what you did, here's what you shouldn't have done, here's what you need to do next, Well, We didn't have to do that. It was just, it was very quick. It was very easy. Now with our staff, let me tell you, there's some long drawn out meetings. You should see some of the lists that I have. We used to have Monday morning meetings. Now it's all day Monday. And we usually go home by 10 o'clock after I get done with the long, oh, it's a long list, let me tell you. But why did my dad and I, why did we have that kind of a a relationship? And, And why was it that I could tell from the look on his face? It's because I knew him. I grew up in his home. Uh, I, I served in ministry with my dad and I loved it and it was wonderful, it was a privilege. And so I don't want you to think that was every service, you know, that he, I was seeing those looks, but I, I could tell, I could tell when he was happy. I could tell when he was excited. I could tell when he was fired up. And how come? It's because I knew him. I, I won't get into all the stories, but uh, our my pastor in California, Pastor Treber, I worked with him and my wife and I worked with him for nine years and I was in college for four years. So I, I watched him and I studied him and I went to staff meetings and I, uh, I sat in services and I used to love it. I would watch. I would watch on the platform. I would watch his face and I could tell by the look on his face, and I don't even think some people would say there wasn't even an expression there, or you know, uh, positive or negative. But there were times I could tell, I could just tell, I could tell by the way he smiled, even what was going on. There were times that he would get up and he would say something, and and I could say it before he said it. There was times he'd be preaching, and as he was preaching, I could tell where he was going, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I know what he's going to say next, I, and I just. You say, how come? Was it because I was so smart? No, it was because I loved him. It's because I wanted to please him. I wanted to make him happy. If he's the pastor and I'm the assistant, my job is not to make his life miserable. My job is to make his life better. My job is to lift his arms and to encourage him. And can I tell you, if I would do that for my dad, if I would do that for my pastor, if I would try to know them because I wanted to please them, how much more so should we be doing that for the one who created us how much more should we be living that way for our savior for the king of the universe for the creator of the universe for a god in heaven who we should know him daniel 11 verse 32 the bible says the people that do know their god shall be strong and do exploits Why don't we see a lot of great victories? And why don't we see a lot of great things done for God? I believe one reason is that we don't truly know God like we should. Philippians 3, the apostle Paul said that I may know him. Paul said, my one desire is I want to know God. I want to know Christ. I want Him to be real in my life. Exodus 33, Moses said, God, if I'm going to lead these people to the promised land, he said, God, I need you to show me your way. And God, I want to know you that I may find grace in your sight. We see in Judges 2 that there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. How come? what happened what was where was the problem number one i want you to see quickly it was not passed down very simple very simply put somewhere along the line somebody dropped the ball i think probably both sides were at fault i'm sure some of it was the parents and some of it was probably the young people but somehow it did not get passed down can i ask you this question this morning How are our children or grandchildren or our teenagers or our bus riders or or the the ones in our master clubs or the ones in our nurseries or the ones in our junior churches, how are they going to know if we don't teach them? I'll tell you one place they're not going to get it from. They ain't getting it from television, I'll promise you that. They're not getting it from the majority of stuff you find online and the majority of stuff on the internet. They're not getting it from Hollywood. I'll tell you that if they're going to get a real true love for God, it's going to have to come from us. But number one, it was not passed down. The Bible tells us that we are responsible to train up in a child in the way that he should go. But the Bible also says there's a responsibility on the young people. There's a responsibility on the next generation to obey. There's a responsibility to honor. The Bible says to not forsake the way of your father. Can I tell you, it takes both sides to make it successful. Number one, it was not passed down. Number two, I'll say quickly, it was not personal. They they didn't make it personal. It was not real to this generation in Judges 2. It was just like, oh, well, if it works out, if it's convenient... Maybe I'll get it. Maybe I won't. But it wasn't personal. It was just mommy and daddy's church. I'm afraid it was just grandma and grandpa's religion. Have You ever heard this one? Yeah, we've got the old family Bible. By the way, I think a family Bible is a wonderful thing. But it's got to become yours. It's got to become mine. I hope you love church. I love church. I hope you love singing. I hope you love preaching. I hope you love serving. I hope you love going out soul winning and I hope you love going out working on a bus ministry. I hope you love singing in the choir and I hope you love your Sunday school class and I hope you love your junior church and I hope you love the things that we do at church and the things we do as a church. But I got news for you. The greatest thing that you and I can do is to have a love for God. Because if you'll have a love for God, all the other things will take care of themselves. But if you have a love for church and you don't have a love for God, and if you know about the church but you don't know God, I wanna tell you, there's coming a day when you're gonna check out. There's coming a day when you're gonna throw in the towel. There will come a day if the only thing that's keeping you here is the church or the only thing that's keeping you here is the soloist or the only thing that's keeping you here is the piano player or the only thing that's keeping you here is the preacher. And if that's the only thing that you've got going right now, I got news for you. You're not going to last very long, but if you'll get a love for God. And if you'll get to know God, and if you'll have a walk with God, and you'll have a relationship with God that is real, I want to tell you, you'll be okay. And there won't be a generation that comes up that does not know God, but we'll have something that we can pass down because it's been real in our lives. Jesus said this, the greatest command of all is this, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, With all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, you must, I must, have a relationship with God that is real. I wondered this morning, is your relationship with God real? Say, well, Pastor, I'm glad that you're preaching this to all those sinners that aren't in church today. Oh, no, I'm preaching this to the people that are here today. Because did you know you can be saved? You can be a child of God but not really know God. Maybe it's been a while since you opened the book, the Word of God, and just ask God, say, God, would you speak to me today? I need something today. Maybe it's been a while since you got alone in that prayer closet and just spent time with God and said, God, I need to know you today. Seems like we know about all the sports and we know about all the politics and we know about all the hobbies and we know about the weather and we know about the finances and we know about all the technology, but what happened to a generation of people that'll say, I wanna know God. I want God to be real in my life. I want to know the power and the presence of God and I've got to have it. Where, where are those people? I hope I hope they're here. I hope that's what our desire is to know God. But number one, they didn't pass it down. Number two, it was not personal. And number three, it was not a priority. It wasn't that important. It was just one of many things that they did if they could. When I go to the post office and I have to send a package, they will ask me, they will say, how would you like to send it? And what they mean is, do you want it to get there quicker or do you want it to go regular or whatever? And so if I'm sending just something average or ordinary, I'll say, no, just regular first-class mail is fine and there's no, no rush, no hurry, just, you know, whenever it gets there. But if there's something that is important, they'll give you the option. They'll say, would you like to send this priority? And if it's important, you know what I say? Yes, I would like to send it priority. I'd kind of like for this to arrive. You know, this, it would kind of be a good thing if the valuable package I'm sending gets to where it's going. And with the priority or with the, the next uh, level of, of the, the mail, uh, that they, the delivery system, they'll say, would you like tracking? And you know what I say? Yes. I want to know where this is going. I want to know when it gets there. Yes, I would like tracking. They'll say, would you like a delivery confirmation? And You know what I say to that? Yes. I'd like to know that this thing gets delivered. I'd like to know uh, when it gets delivered. Yes, I would like that. And then they'll say, okay, your cost is this. You know what's amazing? That that priority, it costs more than the regular. You know why some people don't have something to pass down to the next generation because we're not willing to pay the price you know why some people don't know God like they should it's because they're not willing to spend the extra time to get to know him when my wife and I were dating we we talked on the phone we were we were about two hours apart after we got after we finished college we we're about two hours apart we'd see each other about once a week we'd get together but we'd talk on the phone and I've told you a story, you know, back then it wasn't text messaging and, and uh, you know, unlimited, you know, calls. It was uh, long distance. Remember that? You'd get phone cards. Or if you had a cell phone, you could get free nights and weekend minutes. You remember that? So I'd wait till after nine o'clock at night. You say, why would you wait so long? Because when you're talking on the phone for an hour and a half, that adds up if it's not free, Right. And so we'd talk and and we would spend so much time just getting to talk. And you say, "Well, well, why? We were getting ready to make a commitment. We were getting ready to get married. And I didn't want to get married to someone and she didn't want to get married to someone that we didn't know. We wanted to make sure that we knew each other. And so you know what was required for that? We had to spend time together. We had to talk. We had to get to know each other. Can I tell you? God will spend all the time with you that you'll spend with Him. But it's gonna cost you something. Maybe a little bit of sleep. Maybe you have to rearrange your schedule. Maybe you have to rearrange your priorities. But how well you know God and how well I know God is up to us. God loves you and He offers to every one of us every day to spend time with Him and to know Him. But the choice is yours.